Hi, my name's Alex. I'm a Pisces. I'm terrified of Ferris wheels. And <laughs> that's actually all I have to say. I'm here with... Um, I was just wondering if you'd use your phone call voice since second one. And I'm really happy you sort of did. I did. I, <laughs> I literally switched. Like the moment I knew we were recording, I switched into like customer service mode. It's just fucking terrible. At least I didn't do my fake deep voice um, that I did for years. To impress women? To impress women. Specifically, my girlfriend Charlotte. I did it in front of her where I answered the phone and immediately went, Hey, this is Alex. And then she w- she asked me, she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, this is my natural voice. I just speak higher around you. And not for a moment did she believe me. And yet she still dated me. To impress women, I lost 12 kilos and then no one noticed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hi, I'm Rowan. I am an IT guy to school. Interesting. Um, what star sign are you? Virgo? Virgo. You don't know? I, I don't think about it. I don't think about it either, but it's good to know. For our listeners, if any single female probably has borderline personality disorder, want to know our star signs, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, Pisces and Virgo. I'm, I'm a bit of a crier. I cry a lot. Specifically when I go to the toilet and have sex. I very briefly dated a girl with BPD. So did I. Was it the same girl? Yeah. The Emma, our producer, just confirmed I am a Virgo. Oh, sweet. Thank God. So Alex, what's the, what's, what's the agenda for this first episode of the one and a half white boy, one and a half... What the fuck's the name of the podcast? One and a half white guys. I don't like that you said boys, because now everyone we know who's listening to this will only refer to it as one and a half white boys. But it's meant to be one and a half white guys. Um, and... The reason for that, I feel like I should explain right off the bat, is that I am Jewish. Um, (laughs) And that makes me half white somehow. But we're just going to roll with it. Don't call us racist. We thought of the name while drinking. We actually decided to start a podcast while drinking. Yeah, uh, this is going to be as good as a drunk idea could be. Um, I have something to say about Jewish men, though, right? (laughs) So... (laughs) I don't, I don't know if I heard this from TikTok or from Charlotte, but uh, there, was a, there was a few TikToks going around that were like unconventionally attractive men and it would just be a list of men, but all of them were Jewish. And it was just like, you think unconventional just means Jewish. Doesn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't describe like Andy Samberg as like unconventionally attractive. He's just attractive. I'm trying to think if I've ever had an opinion about Andy Samberg's appearance. Have you seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine? I have. Yeah. He's attractive in that because he's funny, but nothing about his visual appearance. He's he's attractive. Like, just... Maybe I'm just straight. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering how long it would take for Rowan to point out that I'm gay. One and a half straight guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. That's way better. (laughs) They They don't have to tell everyone that I'm Jewish. It's not too late to change the name. Yeah, honestly. We'll, oh. see, what the, we'll see what the listeners think. <laughs> so, on the agenda oh, tonight, yes. I'm going to be talking about my five favorite games of 2021. And I work in IT. I'm a gamer. Um, and I'm going to be talking about my top five books that I've read recently. And when I say top five, I mean just the five that I've read recently. Because uh, some of them are not top. So, Ron, if you want to start us off. Fuck, where's my list? Maybe I'll start us off then. I have my list ready. Basically, we've got my first book, which is called Colorless Tazuru Tazaki and His Years of Pilgrimage. 
and it's by Murakami. Uh, and the general synopsis, like I'll give you, I'll give you a quick, a quick rundown of what happens. Uh, there's a guy called uh, Tsukuru Tazaki, and he works for train companies, and he uh, designs train stations. Weirdest job I could think of. Like if I had to make up a job, that's what I would make up. That's it's some like video game shit, like Railroad Tycoon. Yeah, literally. Like you do that, but for real, like in a job. And if you fuck it up, people die. Um, <laughs> it's like when I, when I was watching like a YouTube video and it's like just a actual city designer was playing City Skylines and I was just like oh that's just a job people yeah. lay out cities literally that's like when people play Farm Simulator and I'm like you could do that in real life you could just become a farmer you could just become a farmer it's not it's not that hard it's surely not that, it's not that hard to be a farmer if any farmers listen to this I have no respect for your job um, <laughs> so basically in 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 this book he, when he was younger, he had a group of friends and they all randomly cut him off one day for no reason. And they didn't tell him why they just all stopped talking to him and they were his like best friends. And so he carried the weight of that for a few years of just why his friends did that. And then one day he meets a girl who he's like romantically interested in and he tells her about this story and she becomes really interested. And she says like, we should get to the bottom of why they did that. And so he's like, he's a bit begrudging about it, but he eventually just goes, yeah, yeah, sure. So he tells them more about it, gives them more information and they kind of track down each of his friends and he talks to like each of them. And he finally finds out that the reason they all cut him off is because one of the female friends in the group, um, like falsely accused him of rape. Uh, and he was like devastated. He was like, that's, that's messed up. Like I, I never did that or anything. And he like just tells his friends that he never did that. And they're all like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, but unfortunately the girl who accused him got murdered so he could never make peace with her. That is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's the synopsis of the story. It literally ends there. He's like, he's made peace with all the friends that are still alive and whatever. Uh, I wanted to say my favorite part of the book is he makes a friend in like the university that he goes to. He has a swimming pool and he likes swimming and he meets a guy there who also likes swimming and they become friends and they get closer and closer and they like hang out at each other's houses. They listen to records together, like all things boyfriends do. And um, they're, they're just friends though, obviously. But one day he has a dream and in the dream, he's like having sex with one of his old female friends. And it's like a really vivid sex dream. And then he wakes up and his friend, the one he met at the swimming pool, is sucking his dick. And he's just like, he, he handles it like a champ. Like he, he just goes, am I still dreaming? <laughs> Like, is this, is this real? And then he like kind of just goes back to sleep and then he wakes up later and his friend's gone and he's like, I don't know if that actually happened or not. But my favorite thing about that is that he doesn't for a second think like, ew, or anything like that. He's just like, is this real? Is this real? Like, did it, did it happen? And like, whether or not it happened, he didn't care. And the story just continues. Never mentioned again. And I was just like, okay, sure. Anyway, Rowan, what's your what's your first game on your list? I'm just I'm just thinking about how that's I, when you start talking about the book. I was thinking, oh, wholesome wholesome train book. Yeah. And then also I need, I need to express to you how anxious Emma, the producer, writing down notes is making me. What I, the fuck is she saying? What about is she us? saying? No, she, I reckon she's writing insults. Like every time a joke doesn't land, she's writing didn't land this joke. She's writing the timestamp if she, she's going to cut out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Made bad joke at twelve fifty three. Definitely cut. 
Um, so I'm going to go from my fifth favorite game of 2021, ascending from there. Yeah. Um, I'll have more to say about them as it goes up because the more I like a game, the more I want to just rant about it and just ramble about how much I'm enjoying it. So my fifth favorite game, 2022, is the new Pokemon Snap. Really? I was. I knew you were going to say that. And <laughs> this game is irrationally good. Mm. Like, I've never played the original. Shut the fuck up, Emma. I've never played the original. Um, but purely visually, it is the best-looking Pokemon game. I don't know what it is. Why is it called Pokemon Snap? It's literally a game where you're taking photos of Pokemon. Oh. Um, and this is fun? Yes! So, you get put into, like, this... There's, like, seven, eight, maybe nine, like, little, like, areas on, spread across a few different islands. Each one, gorgeous. The first one's like a nice tropical paradise. They start with just you going through a little area, snapping Pokemon. And they do a lot to just keep it fun. Like, it's... Concept-wise, it sounds so fucking boring. It's you're on rails, taking photos of Pokemon. More trains. More trains. We're still talking about uh, trains. And then, luckily, this game doesn't have any rape allegations in it. <laughs> um, Thank God. <laughs> you know, this is made by Nintendo, not Ubisoft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so you just go around taking photos of pokemon and then they at the end of the um little ra- rail the 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 detective the the fucking professor not detective essentially ranks your photos so you can only pick one photo per pokemon you've taken which means you have to like sort through you have to, the, the game gives you homework at the end of each little thing you have to sort through all photos and pick which photo you're the happiest with with each pokemon and it scores you based on how big the Pokemon is, how centered it is. There's a, there's a stat for how chunky the motherfucker is. How big it is on the screen. Oh, right. <laughs> I thought you just like, you find a fat fucking Pikachu and you're like, dude, this one is fucking chunky. There's a chunkiness stat. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it gives you s- separate scores for Pokemon depending on how rare the pose they are. Oh. So you go through the same area like seven times because you keep trying to find like, this one fucking Snorlax doing this one funny pose. Yeah, like um, this Pikachu is doing a fucking full Nelson. Like, I don't know what a fucking Nelson... Is that a shit? What's a no, Nelson? It's, it's a very specific sex move. Don't worry. Continue. <laughs> um, but they keep it interesting by, essentially, if you go through an area enough times, you get experience, and then you level up the area, which means you can choose to have all the Pokemon in it just go on a different, be on a different cycle. So maybe the Pokemon that's early on doing this pose might be later on doing a different pose, or maybe these two Pokemon are interacting... Or maybe the Magikarp is close now, so you can throw a fucking apple at it and piss it off and get into a different pose. So you downloaded a game that perfectly simulates the excitement of bird watching. But imagine if birds were Pokemon. Mm. You know Pokemon Um, are like animals, right? Like, we have those. And then if you keep playing, eventually unlock like new areas. So you can go bird watching in the snow, bird watching in the desert, Mm. which... I, I have considered in my life going bird watching. Like, I have sat down and thought to myself, I could go bird watching if I wanted to. Uh, my parents used to make me go bird watching with them as a kid, and it's the reason I don't talk to them that much anymore. Yeah, every time I thought I could do bird watching, I thought about it for more than five seconds and decided that sounded fucking dumb. I, um, I told my mom not to listen to this podcast when it comes out. <laughs> um, so I can just slander her as much as I want. Of course. Um, but yeah, my fifth favorite game of the year that I'm 
due to the slander of Alex. I had a bad time making sound fun. Yeah, but I'm just, so sorry. That's it. It's just really little addictive, gorgeous game where you take photos of Pokemon. And it's, I think the reason why it hit me so hard this year was I was playing it when I was just in like a really down place in life. Mm. And it was just, it's a game where it's impossible to be stressed. Yeah, so it's got Animal Crossing vibes. It's, yeah, which is another game I've been playing a little bit more this year. Yeah, it's just, yeah. And, like, I, I find it hard to, like, focus and, like, actually, like, sit down when there's no goals and stuff, but Animal Crossing does it for me. Like, I, I can, I guess if I think about it in the way I think about Animal Crossing, it makes it sound way more fun to me. But yeah. Cool. What's another book that you loved okay. or hated? So, this next one I'm going to talk about more whether I liked it or not, because I realized the previous one, I just set a synopsis and my favorite part and then passed it back. So I'm going to try and talk about it slightly more. Also opinionatedly. Emma's taking notes. So don't fuck up. Yeah. Oh God. It's going to be like notes on our physical appearance as well. Like looks scruffy, hasn't shaved. I'm going to, I'm going to try and explicitly talk shit about her slightly over you. So she can't edit it out without it seeming weird. Yeah. Like when you, when you can feel me about to make like a good joke, start talking shit about Emma. Cause she's like, you can't cut that but out. The, but then I'd never talk shit about yeah, her. Yeah. You're a fuckhead. <laughs> um, all right. So this next book is called unraveling Oliver by Liz Nugent. Uh, and a brief synopsis is, um, Oliver Ryan is a successful author of children's books and his wife is a successful illustrator of children's books. They release children's books together and she illustrates and he writes. And one day he's a completely normal guy. People like him. He's a general, generally just average dude. Uh, one day he just beats the shit out of his wife. Like I'm just, noticing a theme. With- yeah. I have read some fucking dark books. Um, but the whole book is other characters' viewpoints of him and how they how they knew him in various points of his life to try and get a bigger picture of why he did that because he's not like a he's, he doesn't do that normally he's never done that before it's it's about the surprise of it like the absolute left fieldness of it like um so you hear from different perspectives of people who've known him throughout his life and generally the 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 shortest shortest synopsis I can give of it is that he worked at a vineyard when he was in like college to make money and he worked there with his best friend and the vineyard was run by a family who lived in a villa on the vineyard and the family was a father, old father figure, his daughter and his daughter's son. Uh, and the father was raising the son as if he was one of his own as well. Like he, he was his grandchild, but like he was raising it as if he was just a son. Um, cause his daughter was really young as well. But, um, the father wrote children's books just for his son, like his grandson. That's adorable. Yeah. Like he wrote specific, like fantasy stories about whatever. It's um, like a grandpa that whittles just to make toys for his grandson. Exactly. Sort of exactly like that. Um, and so in present day, like back to the start of the story, uh, Oliver has this um, little wooden box that he keeps that he won't let his wife look inside. Um, and she's never looked in it because she's like, she's she's a very typical female character in a book um, where she's very meek and like submissive and like just like written real weirdly. But the weird thing is this book was written by a woman. So <laughs> it's not, you can't blame it on male writers. But anyway, I think the whole point was that she was really meek and submissive because that let him take advantage of her. Cause oh, so you think it was intentionally done like that? Correct. Because I think, like, 
um, he's he's a piece of shit, and you find out more as the book goes along that he's more and more of a piece of shit. Like, there's no explanation. Like, when you find out why he did it, you don't think, oh, I get it. You think, what a fuckhead. <laughs> um, but, so the, as the story goes on, he's just more and more of a piece of shit. But, um, so anyway, while he's at this vineyard working with his best friend, uh, he gets really close to the young boy, and he gets so close that he is like there he becomes the their what's the word it's like au pair or something au pair au pair he basically becomes that and he lives in the villa with them instead of out in the bunks with everyone else who's working the vineyard and he takes care of this little boy anyway he takes it too far when he decides that he wants to be the hero so he starts a fire in the villa at night with the plan to save everyone and then be the hero problem is the fire kills the dad and the little boy so he kind of fucked up. He fucked whole. up. He fucked up. Slightly a, fucked up. Yeah. I like how you said kind of goes too far. Like, yeah. A <laughs> little, little bit. A little bitty bitty bit. A little bit. Yeah. You could say he made an oopsie. Um, but what survives the fire is the father's children's stories. And so he takes them and he hides them. And then when he's a little bit older, he starts writing like transferring them into written documents and starts publishing them as children's books. Um, so he stole this old dude's fucking children's book ideas and is passing them off as his own. And he becomes a really successful author for it. Um, anyway, so the reason he beat the shit out of his wife is because his wife opened the box and found the old manuscripts that weren't his and realized that he was, um, like plagiarizing everything. And she confronted him and he, beat the shit out of her um absolute piece of shit like no justification like no no real there's absolutely no reason you should ever do that obviously um thank you for laying the um the ethical line that yeah we... just in case you didn't know beating the shit out of women is wrong yeah, here on the one off white guys we actually are against wife beating yeah um <laughs> just thought you make that one clear my favorite part of the book is when they're at the vineyard and it's late at night one night and Oliver and his best friend are sleeping in the same room and his best friend decides he's going to take a big step and he comes out as gay to Oliver and Oliver calls him a slur. <laughs> <laughs> Why would, that's so funny. <laughs> it's my favorite bit because at that point you're not like too sure if you should hate this guy or not because he seemed kind of normal until now. And then he just does that and you're like, wait. <laughs> oh, now we know. I fucking hate this guy. There's just no room for ambiguity. Yeah, literally. You're not like, you're not thinking maybe he's a good guy that made a mistake. You're like, no, this guy fucking sucks. Um, I liked this book and the different perspectives from all of the different characters was really interesting because you got to see it from like the perspective of Oliver, the perspective of his best friend, the perspective of the woman he's cheating on his wife with. Um, and who he also treats like shit. Uh, he's just like gaslighting, manipulating constantly to everyone around him. And like, you also hear from one of his old buddies from way back when, but all the different perspectives really gave me a really great picture of what this guy is like and like what, how other people view other people as well. Cause like the stories would be different. Like there'd be little nuances and things that didn't add up because they were being told from different perspectives. Oh, so it's like a what's the word like un unreliable narrator sort of thing yeah exactly and like because when two people experience the same event they don't retell it in the same way and i thought that was a really good way of telling the story because it's obviously people aren't going to line up their stories like they're being interrogated 
Like, they're just going to tell you what they remember. Yeah. And, like, not everyone remembers everything correctly. But, yeah, I like that. And I thought it was an interesting book. And it was in a period of time in my life when I specifically sought out female authors to read because I realized that all the books that I've read in my life were by male authors. And I was like, I kind of need to fix that because I'm, like, missing out on a huge market of things. And, like, it's, like, not not great to be, like like not misogynistic but like without even realizing it you're you're just being ignorant to entire like avenue of entertainment exactly exactly and like if you yeah you need to see different viewpoints mm. like it gets really samey if you're just reading books by white men all the time exactly exactly the one of the one of the other books i'm going to talk about was in that same period of time when i was looking for female authors and not all female authors are good uh, it's the same with men not all male authors are good um but <laughs> I, I don't know why I had like rose colored glasses on and I was like, every book I read by, <laughs> by a woman is going to be good. It had to happen eventually. You know? It did. I'm glad it happened sooner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So to continue the trend of me explaining games that don't sound like they're fun, but are actually spectacular, Alex, my fourth favorite game of 2021 is a game called Unpacking by <laughs> Witchbeam. <laughs> I don't tell me. Yep. It's about moving furniture. It is about unpacking boxes because you just moved. You just moved into a house. You're unpacking boxes. All right. Sell this to me. So Sell it to me hard. We were just talking about all the ways you can tell stories and how, like, they're getting a bit samey, you know? You need experience to always tell stories. What if I told you that the best story I've heard in all of gaming, all of 2021, was told entirely through... The act of unpacking boxes in several different houses. There is no dialogue in this game. There's no nothing. You don't see the character up until like the end credits, essentially. Every single ounce of narrative in this game is told by you unpacking boxes and inferring stuff from that. Right. So, yeah, see now you're sort of you're a little bit interested now. I am interested. So um, I'm gonna spoil the hell out of this because Please do. There's literally no way to make this game sound good without spoiling it. Like the actual core gameplay loop is fun as hell. It's a, pu- a I guess puzzle game where you're just trying to you have limited space. So you have to find a way to see how can I fit everything into a space. And then you want it to look good and make sense because it's way more satisfying to put all the stuff in the bathroom in a way that would make sense in a real, in a real bathroom. Same with like clothes in a bedroom, etc. So you can flip between a few rooms and as the game goes on, as you go to different houses, rooms houses get bigger, rooms get bigger, you get more space to put things, but you get more shit to put around. So you have to sort of go... How can I fit things in a way that's the most elegant? And also the game doesn't let you put things in spots where that doesn't make sense. You can't put a laptop in the sock drawer because you need that laptop sort of thing. But it only tells you that after you've unboxed everything, put everything away, and then it's like, no, move that somewhere. And then the way it makes that really interesting is you learn so much about the character from the first the first level where you're just unboxing. It's just, you can tell it's, um, you can tell it's, a, it's a kid's room. So unboxing a bunch of like, children's books stuff like that mm. um, i'm glad you said that because i was about to make a really bad joke about like like what you might find in someone's moving boxes and then you were like it's a kid's room and i was like Whoop, let's not say um, that am i just pass me a note and all it says on it is jewish <laughs> <laughs> that might be the least i'm giving you examples of how the game sorry I hope it had a question mark. Jewish? Jewish? <laughs> question um, mark. I'll, I'll get to it. I'm sorry. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry, I can't recover from that. Yeah, um, so you're, you're opening boxes, you're opening six boxes of yamulkas. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this girl's Jewish, I don't know. Yeah, um... Seven she just candles. likes the she just likes the aesthetic, you know. Yeah, I I too um, I wear a yamulka all the time just um, because I like how the drip looks. Um, but yeah, so you learn from the first room essentially, it's a kid. Yeah, and then a Jewish, ne- a Jewish kid, a Jewish kid, and um, there's a dreidel, a Jewish. Course. Nice. Is that did I say Jewish enough? We have a we have a Jewish like quota to meet. Anyways, so then you go into the next house, and then um. I can't remember if it's a new house or the same room, but the kid is older now. So you you sort of sort of like how if you go through the Toy Story movies, you can see the main kid Andy growing up. So the stuff he owns is different, his living situation is different, and then you're also like kind of invested. But you're like, this is not a story based game. This is just you know just an aesthetic for things to unpack. And then as you go on, it's like, oh, this is obviously a college dorm. So the you know the main protagonist who you, you found out by this point from from context is obviously like is a woman sort of getting into it because wait 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 so you said you can infer this person is a woman yeah how uh women clothes right so she has an underwear drawer yes what did it smell like (laughs) um (laughs) i've got nothing (laughs) continue continue i'm sorry it was like i imagine mario's ass smells you know like victory and a bit of like copper from the flagpole a bit of I like that. Mm. Um, I have fantasized about what Mario's <laughs> balls and ass smell like. I own a coffee table book called Things I've Learned About Mario's Butt. Oh. Um, we'll talk about that maybe later on. Mm, in a that's actually episode. on my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you keep going through it. And at this point, you're still like, this is not a narrative-based game. This is just purely aesthetics for unpacking. And then you you go to the next room and it's like, oh, this is a big apartment. This is going to be different. You're on, There's like stuff in this apartment already. This looks like dude stuff. Mm. There's like man clothes. There's like, it's like a bit like you, essentially you're unpacking your stuff into like a bachelor pad. Right. And one thing Emma noticed was the lingerie gets really like way sexier here. So you can tell she bought like way hotter lingerie and stuff like that that you're packing away. And it was like, oh, she moved out with her boyfriend. And you're like, now you're getting into it because you're like, oh, there's like maybe there's like a cute little love story happening in the background. Um, and then the next level is her moving back in with her parents. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh. and then you're like, okay, maybe this is a sad game. So, and then, um, one of the things the game doesn't let you do is there's a little pinboard in her room. There's a photo of her and her boyfriend. If you put on the pinboard, it puts the pin through the boyfriend's head. Oh. <laughs> and then afterwards it t- the game tells you, no, don't have it on the pinboard. So you have to hide it somewhere where she can't see it or else you can't finish the level. Oh God. Um, so breakup was not amicable. Yeah. That's and- like, um, when, um, when I take a shower, I put all the photos like face down so they don't watch me shower i do the opposite i can't shower without an audience oh <laughs> fucking invite me next time <laughs> and yeah so then moves it back in the parents so but she moves back into her old room so she's moving all her adult stuff into the kids room plus like a couple of toiletries into the bathroom stuff like that you're like okay game's a bit sad now but you know like you know didn't seem like a relationship you you can tell just based on the apartment of, like, the boyfriend. The dude's, like, a bit of a chad, you know? You just... You can really tell. Like, it reminded me of my apartment. Uh, <laughs> dude! Dude! <laughs> and as everyone knows, I'm a massive, massive chad. Um, but yeah, so then, next, next, next house that you unpack into, you're like, wait, there's other boxes now. And then you um unpack them, you're like, 
both of these boxes have women's clothing coming out of it. New apartment you haven't seen yet. And both these boxes, like colored boxes, have different styles of women's clothing. And then as you unpack it, you're like, is this lesbians? Oh, hell yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. You're like, did this girl just get out of a shitty relationship with a man and just finally find the woman she's needed all along? And then just based on the things they own, you can tell these people are perfect for each other. Mm. The, um, the, the, the new person, the new, I would say, I would say protagonist is like the word for it yeah. with the new thing. So many plants. Just, it makes you so happy to unpack these things. And then you're like, this might be the last level. This is where the narrative ends. Like, great. They're unpacking, find a new place. Yeah. And then she moves back in with her parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then ends up back with a man. Yeah. Uh, uh. No. And then the next level is they find a bigger place together. Cute. Um, and then you're like, wait, is this is this a nursery? Ooh. And then you unpack. I'm, in, I'm invested. Right. You unpack a bunch of baby stuff, and you're like, not only are they happy together, they're having a kid together, like adopting a child together, or however lesbians make babies happen. I don't. I think there's some sort of ritual. I learned all I know about lesbians from porn. Yeah. <laughs> I know they're hot as fuck. <laughs> Um, like how long do you have to scissor before, do they both get pregnant? I, <laughs> I think which one, whichever one of them consumes the deer heart that they had to cut out by hand, that one gets pregnant. Um, and then you just feel happy. You're just like, this game had a sad sort of middle act and then got so happy towards the end and it just fills you with so much joy. Mm. And it's the best story. It might be my favorite narrative. Maybe not like story, but like narrative of any game I've ever played. It just feels good to unpack stuff. You can move things around in a way that like might completely change where they can fit, how they look even. Mm. So um, that is how a game about unpacking boxes is one of my favorite games of the year. I feel like if I was going to play that, I would need to take a bunch of speed so that I... You unpack really quickly. No, so I could <laughs> fucking focus. Because, like, I would not... I would just just get bored, like, halfway through. Like, anim- like Animal Crossing, I love, but I get bored really quickly. Because, like, it's it has no goals or anything. Like, I guess unpacking is a goal and, like, getting to the end. Yeah, like, like a level finishes by you unpacking everything yeah. in spots that are valid. Yeah. I actually I was actually very intrigued by that. That that enthralled me. I knew I knew the, 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 the little pitch would get you. Yeah. But I've spoiled the entire story for you now. That's fine. I wasn't gonna play it. <laughs> all right so so this next book was recommended to me by recommended to me by charlotte um and i didn't read it for ages because i was lazy and i was like ah, oh, I, I like don't I, to be honest i didn't trust I, her recommendation i didn't trust woman. exactly i didn't trust her recommendation without the end of it um but when i read it i actually did enjoy it and it was it was pretty good it was um, it's, it was called Jasper Jones and it's by Craig Silby. And the general, the general plot is that this 14 year old kid, uh, gets woken up in the middle of the night by Jasper Jones, another 14 or 15 year old kid knocking at his window and saying like, Hey, you need to come with me. And he's like this really meek bookworm kid. And he's like, Oh, like, I don't know. But Jasper Jones is like this outcast kid who smokes and drinks and all the adults think he's bad news what a cool guy yeah he's like he's like the cool kid of when you're like 15 
Um, the, the kid you've always wanted to become. Exactly. When you were 15, he's the kid you thought, damn, I wish my parents didn't care about me. And then you grew up, start smoking, drinking, and you're like, now I just feel like shit all the time. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, I'm glad my parents were nice to me growing up. So yeah, he's this like outcast kid. All the adults hate him because they he, they think he's going to make all the other kids into like fiends. Um, but this kid, the main character, decides to go with him. And Jasper Jones brings him to this field and there's this clearing surrounded by bush and in the clearing is a dead girl hung like by her neck up on the tree. She was hung. She was hung as fuck. There was a dead girl with the biggest fucking schlong. Um, <laughs> um. And so the the protagonist is like, what the fuck is this? Like, what, what the hell? And Jasper Jones is like, this is Laura and she was my girlfriend um, and someone's killed her and because I'm the town outcast it's, it's set in a small uh, town in Brisbane not Brisbane it's set in a small town in Australia um, this sounds like the start of like a Bethesda game yeah he Jasper Jones is basically like everyone's going to blame me like they're all going to think I'm person of interest number one because I she was my girlfriend and I'm the outcast kid who it does shit things like drink and smoke and whatever the guy everyone told her not to date exactly exactly um, and so he's like, you need to help me. We're going to hide her body and we're going to find out who did this so that I don't get persecuted because I will, they will just put me in jail without any trial or anything. Um, and I'll just cop it. And so this meek protagonist kid is like, Oh, okay. So they, uh, weigh the body down with a rock and use the rope that she was hanging by to drown her body in the lake. And then the rest of the book is them trying to solve it. Right. A few things happen, which I'll detail, but basically at the end of it, her sister, the girl who died's sister, finally tells the protagonist that she saw what happened and Laura basically waited at the clearing for Jasper to come, but he never came. And Laura had just been, um, like, abused by her dad, like, because she, she gets abused. I'm still noticing a trend in, yeah, the, in the shit you're honestly, reading. honestly, I... You know happy books exist, right? I haven't found one yet. Um, I can give you some, <laughs> please. Is this why you're depressed? Yeah. Um, but they're interesting. <laughs> but, um, so she like regularly gets like beaten by her dad or whatever. And, um, she basically goes to the clearing and she wants to run away to the city with Jasper and she waits for him, but he never comes. So she hangs herself. Um, and her sister followed her that night like followed her out because she snuck out and her sister saw the whole thing and then ran away and then when the sister came back later Jasper Jones and the protagonist had already hidden her body so the sister was like what the fuck happened so she didn't tell anyone eventually she tells the protagonist that she saw it happen and the protagonist is like oh shit I can now tell Jasper that this is what happened so he goes and tells Jasper and Jasper's like well that's fucked I'm moving to the city <laughs> so he moves to the city it was it was really good. Uh, it gave me like it vibes, like yep. you know you know Stephen King Stephen King it like children solving a mystery kind of thing or like children fighting the big bad. It was two like fourteen and fifteen year old kids trying to solve a murder. It Every was, kid's dream. Yeah, exactly. Like you want to be you want to be a detective when you're a kid. Everyone wants to be a detective. It was just it was interesting to see how they went about it. The my favorite part of the book was when the protagonist's uh, best friend Jeffrey. He, um, he's like really good at cricket and they play cricket all the time with each other. Uh, and Jeffrey can't get onto the, um, like the school's team. We've all, we've all been there. Exactly. Not making a school's cricket team. Ugh. Yeah. I didn't make the volleyball team when I was in grade 10 and I'm gay. I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I made my school's cricket team because no one wanted to be on the cricket team. Yeah. 
Including me. <laughs> uh, but my parents made me. Yeah. Yeah. My, my parents wanted me to do a sport and I was like, what's, what's the gayest sport I can think of? And uh, unfortunately, ice skating wasn't available at the school. <laughs> <laughs> the best bit is, so Jeffrey can't join the cricket team because, mostly because of racism, because Jeffrey's Asian and this is like set in like the 60s. Um, when racism was okay. Yeah, when racism was good. And um, so, but one day, Jeffrey, Jeffrey makes it to the bench. Um, like he's, he's, what's the word for like your... On... A sub. Yeah, you're, he becomes a sub. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I... It, it is the word. Like, <laughs> unfortunately, it is the word. Um, he becomes a sub, but they never they never intend to put him in. But j- right before a big game, uh, one of the one of the main people on the team gets sick or something, so they have to put him in, and everyone hates it. And they make him last batsman, whatever the fuck that means. I don't know anything about cricket. It means literally you're you're so shit that you're the last person that's batting, which means there's the greatest chance of you never batting, sort of. Oh wait, yeah. you have to make. I play cricket for 10 years. Oh my God. And I can't fucking remember. Um, essentially, they rank batsmen by how good they are. So the best one goes first, worst right, one goes right, last. Right, right. Anyway, so they made him last batsman and he, they were losing uh, and Jeffrey is the last one up and they're like losing by a little bit, but it's 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 possible to save, but only with like a perfect game. Um, and they're I all, can tell you just don't understand cricket. I don't <laughs> at all. I don't know what any of it means. Every time it comes on TV, I look at it as if I'm watching an alien. So they put him in last batsman and he like just sweeps it up like he takes the game on his own and everyone actually like starts liking him after that um gets all the home runs kicks the goals he does he gets the footy in between the goalposts i don't know anything about any sport to be honest except volleyball except volleyball i do know about that anyway that's my favorite that's my favorite part of the book um but the book was really interesting because you get to see the lives of these children and the children are written like adults if you know what i mean like they're not it's not dumbed down and because you know when you're 15 and you feel like you're having real adult thoughts and you're like you're like kind of existential and you're like thinking about things in a new way because you've only just gained consciousness. Dude, what if God actually might not be real? Yeah. You start like doubting what your parents have told you and you're like, I don't think Santa could do that all in one night. What if what if what if what if, what if black people actually are equal to us? I think that's um, specifically if your parents. If you're <laughs> South African, you get that way later. Yeah, um, <laughs> when you move to somewhere else. I feel like we should clarify, Rowan is South African. I'm just looking at my my notes to see what else I wrote. I just wrote, his mum's a bitch. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, she cheats on his dad. His dad's like this really nice, but like kind of meek dude. Um, and he, he's like writing a novel in his study every night. Uh, and his mum is just like a real hard ass and like makes him... At one point, she makes him dig like a two, three foot deep hole in the backyard and then fill it in with his hands just because he did something wrong. Like he talked back to her or something. Um, and then she cheats on his dad. And when she cheats on him, he, the the protagonist finds her like making out with some stranger in the car. His mom gets real mad at him and she's like, like go home, like blah, blah. And he's like, no, you have no power. And she's, and she like starts crying and drives away. That must be such a good moment in the book. Like when that happens, right? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Like you, he finally like stands up for himself kind of thing. And you're like, hell yeah, she's a bitch. Um, and then she moves away and leaves his dad and him to fend for themselves. But they, they like it. Like they, I was going to say, that sounds like it's actually better off. It was way better because yeah. his dad was really nice. His dad was like writing a novel and he, he gave the novel to the protagonist and was like, I finished my book. Like, you, do you want to read it first? And the protagonist was like, this is shit. No, the protagonist in his head, he was like, this should be me. Like, I should have written a novel first. Like, I'm so mad. And he was like real jealous and envious. Um, 
but he like outwardly was like oh yeah sweet like i'm so proud of you like whatever things that you say to your parent when you're 14 i'm proud i'm of so you. proud of you dad yeah <laughs> um, i was like if i say it first surely he'll say it later on right yeah maybe he just doesn't know how to say it maybe <laughs> he, he, he doesn't know how to say that in english yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah that's all i have to say about jasper jones uh it was it was good i told charlotte that i didn't like it that much um i was kind of lying because what? i didn't want to give her the satisfaction of that, being right of being right how she she suggested a book to me and i read it and i liked it yeah thank god she won't listen to this thank god i she listened to my old podcast because i used to sit down with her and make her listen to the whole thing like every episode they were like an hour and a half long i would sit down with her and we would listen to the whole thing and i would laugh at my own jokes and point them out to her and be like did you hear that babe that was funny anyway uh what's your next game on your list so do you know anything about Monster Hunter? Uh, no. So, based on just the, the the description, the two words of the name of the franchise, Monster Hunter, what do you think you're doing it? Hunting monsters. And I'm excited you said that. So, my third favorite game of 21 is Monster Hunter Rise, which is the latest Monster Hunter game, which dropped on Switch, uh, wait, before other platforms. I think PC version is either coming out soon or has released recently. Um... But there's a lot of, like, controversy in the Monster Hunter community because Monster Hunter has, like, a Dark Souls level of, like, cringe community where it's, like, everyone's always arguing about something sort of thing. And the um, latest argument in the Monster Hunter community is, should Monster Hunter games really be focusing that much about hunting monsters? Because <laughs> um, the older games had this, like, survival management sort of shit between hunts. Like, between a hunt, you spend 10, 15 minutes mining stuff, doing crops, like, trying to get items for the next hunt. Monster Hunter Rise is just, like, what if we just give the dude all the items they need so they can, just, like, hunt shit more? And also, what if we just give them a grappling hook, essentially, so mm. they can hunt monsters and look really cool doing it, give them way more attack opportunities, so instead of hunt taking 30 minutes, it can take 15 minutes, but they've done the same amount of damage. Like, the monsters have the same amount of health, but you've got so many ways to, like, hunt a monster like attack a monster what is the combat like is it similar to like dark souls so it's it's similar to dark souls where like in dark souls if you do an attack your dead weight up until the attack finishes you can't like isn't like a a bayonetta or like a um like game games where you can dodge halfway through the attack you're committing to the attack until it lands and that's very much a like big thing about montana and it's very weapon dependent like I th- they try to be quite realistic with how long a swing would take. Like, if you're using a giant-ass greatsword, you're not going to, like, fucking be like Cloud Farm Fantasy where you're swinging that thing like it's a dagger. Like, it'll take a good second or two for, like, the attack to come down. Mm. So you're, like, committing to every attack, which means more important than actually dodging is, like, can I do this attack with this weapon before the monster hits me? And the um, gameplay loop is essentially hunt monster, kill monster carve its bits for like uh, essentially materials so like bones flesh shit like that gather the area for like supplies mushrooms honey stuff you can use to make potions and then use that dead monster you murdered to make better weapons better armor the game like tries like i think at one point monster Hunter saw realized like i think some people feel bad about just like going to the environment just like killing monsters for no reason because they're all like really cool um what if we just make each plot after that about oh no these monsters are actually like really bad for the environment you should kill them mm. so like the politics behind the game is kind of like weird where it's like no these these animals need to get killed by humans um this is it, this is what i wish pokemon was 
Just fucking that Pikachu, that Snorlax. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck him up. I'm yeah. gonna get a great sword and I'm gonna cleave this motherfucker in two. Did you hear about the um the 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 rumored game made by Peter, Pokemon Black and Blue? No. Um, it's it's a game that they were rumored to have make, which is a mod of the um, first Pokemon games, where if you fight Pokemon, they do die. Ooh. And as combat goes on, the Pokemon get more bruised and shit. Oh. Never happened, but it was supposed to be their like. Pokemon's like animal abuse. What if we just make a game that like really shows how fucked it is? Yeah. But Peter then just never made it. But yeah, so pretty much with Rise, it's like, I think it's possibly the best Monster Hunter ever made. Hmm. Um, if any, if you talk to anyone, because I've been playing Monster Hunter since the PSP like days, like since the second generation Monster Hunter games, which is like quite a while ago. You owned a PSP? Um, yeah. My dad wanted to pretend he liked me. You look like you owned a PSP. I did. Um... And I played nothing except Monster Hunter and Invisimals. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, stop looking at that, Emma. Stop looking so disappointed, Emma. Um, put the, put the pencil down. She's like, nothing funny is gonna be said for a yeah. <laughs> But yeah. So um, I'm really, I've really been enjoying Monster Hunter Rise because entirely of how fast paced it is compared to all the Monster Hunter games, I um have vivid memories of spending five hours hunting the same monster in all the Monster Hunter games to get a full set of armor from it. Five hours of doing the same fight. I think I had to fight... Um, the, mon- the, the, the franchise's flagship monsters like Rathalos. It's like the red dragon sort of thing. I had to kill, I think, 30 of them to get a full set of its armor mm. in the older games. Each fight, once I got really good at it, maybe smashed out in like 10 minutes. That's a lot of fucking killing the same monster in the same area in the same zones with the same weapons. Monster Hunter Rise, same set of armor, same monster. Took me like three fights. Like mm. within an hour, maybe 45 minutes, I had the armor set. And a lot of people are, like, not happy with that. They're like, this is not what Monster Hunter used to be. And to that I say, Monster Hunter used to kind of, like, be kind of shit. <laughs> mm. reminds, me, reminds me of um, in Dark Souls 1, I tried speedrunning it the other day. And if, at the very start of the game, you can uh, get a really OP weapon, which is the Black Knight Halberd. Yep. And speedrunners will start the game, defeat the first boss, immediately run to the Black Knight, kill it, and it has about... a. 25% maybe 11% chance of dropping that halberd and if you if it doesn't drop it you reset and start the game again yeah. imagine that little loop that's just what Monster Hunter is right I reset I think 16 times to get the 25% drop I think it was 11% um, one of the drops I was trying to get in an older game was a 5% drop oh. and it took me yeah that's I had to kill that's when I had to kill like 40 of the same monster Rise it's just so much to like streamline the loop that you've got mounts you can summon anytime a little dog you can ride you can name he's your friend you can give him weapons and armor as well and then you just ride down on the map which means you get to the monster quicker um, you just go to the monster fight it finish the end like finish the fight mm. it's just it takes away all the like busy work between fights yeah and as someone who's like working full time I don't have like 200 hours to get it dedicated to a game yeah. anymore like I th- um, if you look at my like Monster Hunter 3 save 100 and I think it's 100 maybe 200 hours and I'm not even close to like the highest rank in the game like uh, I've put 60 hours into Monster Hunter Rise and I'm approaching G rank like I'm seeing monsters in Rise that I've never reached in older games just because you kill monsters so much quicker you level up so much quicker um, online lobbies like you find people so much quicker which means you just play online with people and it's just such a more like if you play monster hunter to hunt monsters this is the best monster hunter game Mm. i don't know i don't know if i would be interested in playing that kind of game but i like 
it, it seems similar to Dark Souls to me in the sense that like you're fighting huge creatures. Yeah. And you're like a little dude. And like I like I like that about Dark Souls is like the 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 scope of how large the enemies are compared to you, but you can still fight them kind of thing. Yeah, like it just makes you feel like weak but strong. Yeah. Like Dark Souls like anything can kill you so easily. Yeah. So like in Monster Hunter, like at the higher ranks, like you can get killed really quickly by stuff. But if you defeat that thing, you just feel like a king. Yeah, exactly. Like, very I, similar feeling, yeah. Yeah, like the power you feel when you are weak, but you yeah. kill something that is strong. It's like satisfying. Yeah. Uh, all right, my next book is called The Child Finder by Naomi Cottle. And this was during my period where I was specifically looking for female authors. Uh, and this one sucked shit. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, speaking of um, how some some women actually write bad books, sometimes this one is about a detective. She's not actually a police officer; she's a PI essentially. And what she does is she finds missing children, and she's employed by the families that have lost the children. She gets employed to do this one job about a little girl who went missing. The short of it is, the little girl wandered away from the car when they were driving in the mountains, and she wandered into a forest. And then she got snatched up by a guy who lives in the mountains. And he ran in, off into the mountains with this little child. And, and the, the, the parents, family saw this? The or? parents didn't notice. Oh, sure. Like, she just got out of the car while they were stopped for some reason, walked off, and they didn't even notice until they got home. Oh, so they, they just didn't notice the kid was missing until they got home? Yeah. The great kid, great the, parents. The kid was, like, really young. Sure. And um, really quiet as well. So, like, I can I can understand if they're both facing forward in the front seat, Sure. They have a quiet child. They're not going to be turning back every five seconds to make sure their child's there. Is the kid still there? Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so the PI, like the main character. The piss inspector. Piss inspector, yep. Um, <laughs> she basically has to solve this case while also grappling with her past. Because the place that she's looking is the place where she grew up. Like the, um, the country that she grew up. Because this is set in America where all the states are like right next to each other. So she's looking in the state that she grew up in. Um, As opposed to Australia, where the states are all on separate islands. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you can, you can drive to another American state so quickly, but in Australia, you drive eight hours in one direction. And, and you're on the other side of Queensland. Yeah, no, you're on the other side of Brisbane. <laughs> but, um, so she's, like, grappling with her past, and she eventually solves it. And my favorite part is how she solves it. She goes into a convenience store that's near the mountain range where the little girl went missing. And she's just asking general questions. And she says to the shopkeeper, she's like, have you noticed anything that is different to normal? Like anything that you thought, hey, that's different. Not even like just in terms of the case, just literally anything you found different. Anything. Not even have you noticed anything weird, just different. Sure. And the guy says, yeah, there's one guy who comes in, always buys a microwave dinner and leaves. And he trades me animal pelts because he can't speak and he has no money. So he trades me illegal animal pelts because you're not allowed to hunt there and i take them under the counter and i give him a microwave dinner a skyrim fan i see yeah he also puts a bucket on my head and takes my entire inventory <laughs> and then tries to sell it back to me yeah but he doesn't have that perk yet <laughs> i only have two thousand gold i'm not taking eight thousand gold worth of oh you punched me yeah. <laughs> i have two thousand gold again. when i run out of gold he stands there staring at me for three days straight up until i replenish stock <laughs> it's really uncomfortable with a bucket on my head um <laughs> Anyway, so he this guy comes in, trades me an animal pelt, and then gi- I give him a microwave dinner, and then he fucks off. Well, last week he came and bought two microwave dinners. And the woman's like, oh, 
where does this guy live? And the shopkeeper's like, he lives up in the mountains somewhere. So the PI goes into the mountains like an idiot because it's like winter and it's like it's snowing and like she could just die of exposure so goddamn easily. But she does it anyway. And she finds a torn piece of fabric on a tree, which leads her further into the woods. And eventually she finds a cabin and she finds the guy who took the little girl and she fights him and accidentally kills him. Like there's a struggle, there's a knife. He gets stabbed and dies. She finds the child and then she returns the child to uh, the parents. Sure. The weird thing is though, is the guy who took them was actually abducted when he was a baby from the back of a car down in the mountains, similar to where the little girl went missing. He got abducted and he was raised by a guy who lived in the mountains. But the guy who lived in the mountains was like a criminal who fucked off to the mountains to live in reclusivity uh, because he was wanted by the police. And this guy didn't teach the kid anything. He didn't teach him English. All he taught him was how to hunt. Um, And eventually the little kid grew up and killed the guy who took him and became this hermit because he couldn't go back to society because he'd grown up in the woods knowing nothing but how to hunt. So then when he was down there one day and he saw a little girl, he did what his instincts told him, which was what happened to him, was to take the little girl and, like, raise her or whatever. So, weird fucking story. I'm also just wondering, so this dude trades pelts of animals for microwave meals. Yeah. Why doesn't he just eat the animals? I assume he does, but he wants, like, the finer things in life occasionally. Oh, yeah. Like, like to him, that is, like, cuisine. Like, if if all you're eating is, like, foxes... A fucking craft mac and cheese dinner is the best tasting thing on the planet. He just needs any semblance of just fucking salt. Yeah, just literally. Like... Literally. Is this MSG? <laughs> <laughs> Do the man fucking creams when he sees a box of two-minute noodles? Yeah, literally. That's that's pretty much what happened. Um, but anyway, so while while she's solving the, the disappearance, she has to grapple with her past. And she was she was a stolen child as well. Um, and she, but she never found her parents because when she was stolen, no one ever came forward to claim her. So she was found and then she just got sent off to an adoption agency. Grizzled private investigator, dark past. Yeah, yeah. But, so she gets adopted by this family and it's this, basically this single mom who raises adopted children. So she has like a few adoptive children. And one of them is this guy who's her age, like maybe like a year or two older. And they grow up together and they have like weird sexual tension like that should not be there for adoptive children like i get they're not related but they're kind of related and so yeah they're they're family like like she's afraid to go back to her house because he'll be there and Uh. like they have this like past and it's like it's fucking weird this is why i dislike this book i was like i i can't get behind this uh and also the writing not good every time every time the little girl's perspective because it was shown from the perspective of the little girl the PI and the guy who took the little girl. Every time it was from the little girl's perspective, she would talk about weird shit and about like fairy tales and things that were completely unrelated to everything. And I get it. It's a child trying to make sense of what's going on, but she would also like talk about like her vagina and stuff. And, but she would always refer to it as her cleft. Ew. And it made me so uncomfortable. I don't like that one bit. Every time I read that word, I was like, you didn't need to put this in. You know what this book reminds me of? Um, Dark Place. I haven't it's, heard that. It's a big... Uh, I can't remember who the author is, but it's a very big book. It had, like, a film adaptation. And it's essentially same, like similar-ish thing. Like, it's a mystery book. Main protagonist is, like, sort of, like, trying to kind of figure out what happened. But, oh, it's called Dark Places by Gillian Flynn. Oh, um, yes, yes. Yeah. Good author. Yeah. Um, you'd think so. But she this... Did, she did um, Sharp Objects. 
as I, well. Did she? Yeah, I think so. I only know about Dark Places, um, and I didn't like it. Because, different thing, like, I actually think it felt like it was really well written. But the mystery at the end ended up just being, it was a little bit suicide. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I'm so happy we can spoil shit on this podcast. Because yeah. then I can just be like, this is why I hate it. But also there was that, like, the entire book, people in society believe that um, the brother was the, the killer of, essentially, the master to masculine of the family. And you as the reader are like, well, it's obviously not going to be the brother. Because yeah, they're not going to make it the person that people suspect the yeah exactly but they they really try to push it being the brother so one way they do it is like they point out how in high school he had like a weird sexual encounter with like a 12 year old Mm. like he makes out with like a kid and gets like an erection and like it's just like a whole like there are so many ways to like make me suspect this dude without like making me feel that uncomfortable yeah and then also at one point the author just shows sort of her ignorance about like metal weirdly by being like explaining the music he listens to and then they're just like he went from listening to like death metal and then he moved up to the most satanic stuff you can get black metal and he was just playing the music on repeat as if it was a prayer to satan and i was like at this point i had never heard black metal in my life but even i was just like this is weird yeah. And all that shit just felt like obvious, like, red herrings. Yeah, yeah. And then when the ending was so unsatisfying already, I was just like, he just made me feel uncomfortable for no reason. And then it's just that, that made, just made me dislike the entire book. And it was so close to, like, me really enjoying it. I'm getting, like, same vibes of, like, the book you're talking about. Well, it's it's actually similar to the book I mentioned, uh, la- the last book I mentioned, Jasper Jones, where um, you, you think someone's murdered this woman, this young girl, but she just killed herself. And I was so disappointed when i found that out i was like oh so there's no murder mystery here it's just she killed herself it's such a like overused trope in like books like i don't really read that much i've read two books where the mystery is oh the person killed himself in a weird like an elaborate way at the end i i I don't dislike the book but (laughs) that bit disappointed me about it like the rest of the book was was quite good and like i liked following the kid's journey about how he's like trying to solve it and like um, his moral dilemma of not being able to tell anyone and like he's, he's going to go to prison and whatever while he's trying to live a normal 14 year old kid's life kind of thing um, but back to the child finder I hated it <laughs> <laughs> I did not like a single bit I read it purely because I wanted to read more female authors and I, I'm glad I did because I like to broaden my horizons and whatever but not good uh, what's your next game is it your second favourite game of 2021 oh yes so, second favorite game 2021 is The Guardians of the Galaxy. What kind of game is that? So, it's it's sort of like a mixture of like a bunch of things, but mostly it's sort of like third-person shooter with an emphasis of like team sort of tactics, but it's like sort of like team games, you know, team combat games. That's like its own thing. Look, think of like Republic Commando, which is like an old Star Wars game where like there's a big emphasis on like switching between different people with different skills. This has like that, but sort of almost dumbed down in a cool way where you don't switch between characters but you can use abilities for certain characters mm. um and, and the, the game starts out by doing like a really good job t- just telling you like Groot really good at pinning characters pinning enemies down to make them easy to hit doing more damage to them Rocket Raccoon really good at air effect damage and then like Gamora good at just dealing damage and then um Drax is really good at stunning enemies so you can sort of 
pin them down, sort of like some of Groot, and then just like do more damage to them. Yeah. So the game really quickly tells you what each character is good at. But um, one thing I really like about it is a lot of games, especially like story-based games, because the game is like highly story-based, a lot of games that are story-based start really slowly. Like they'll have a long cutscene with a lot of, you're moving around, interacting with things, not really doing much. And then a long cutscene, and then you get to like the main game. This game just throws you into it. From the first part of the game, you're seeing what it's about, which is essentially, it's a game of just about the Guardians of the Galaxy getting to know each other, essentially. Saving the galaxy, becoming friends, because they started the game sort of not really liking each other that much. Like, you can tell from context, Drax and Gamora just sort of joined the team. Rocket and Groot always love each other, because that's just, they've always been together. Peter Quill, the main protagonist, the one you're playing as, is still sort of gaining everyone's, like, because, sort of like, he's already the leader, everyone knows he's the leader, but like, he's become, he's like, far off becoming the trusted, follow him to the ends of the earth leader. Yeah. It's really good at finding ways to like, make you feel like these characters are alive in this world and like, have thoughts. Like, it has secrets all around the place, but, and you obviously know what the objective is. The game's really good at telling you where to go. Um, one of the first things I did in the game was like, oh, there's like a little corner here. I'm going to go here. I know it's not the way to go, but I know there might be like a little um, collectible here. And then Rock Raccoon was like, where's Quill going? That's not, the- does he know that's not the way to go? <laughs> and they just like talk shit about you for like going the wrong way. And it's just like, I've never had a game do that before. Mm. You're so used to playing games and just being unpunished for like, well, like, just like, yeah, no one acknowledges that you're obviously going the wrong way to like get a piece of scrap on the floor. Yeah. Um, and if you take too long to do something, if you're, like, not sure what to do, um, characters will, like, give you, like, hints. They'll be like, more be like, what if you, you know, get me to jump up there and maybe pull you up? But then if you don't pick up on the hints, they'll just start roasting the shit out of you. They're like, does he not know what to do? Like, the characters will talk to each other and just, like, start talking shit about you. And you can tell it's just, like, this cute little bonding game. Yeah. But one of the core main mechanics, even outside of combat, is just when characters talk amongst themselves... You're given the option often, like several times a level, like an area, they'll have a conversation and you can choose one thing to say, another thing to say, or to stay quiet. And it gives you time because like it's in the middle of a conversation. So the amount of times they'll be doing something and you'll have zoned out and then you have three seconds to be like, who the fuck do I agree with? It'll affect how they speak to you later on seems to be the um, appeal of it. Yeah. Um, like one, one thing that happened is um, we were trying to figure out how to cross like a big canyon. People would look like, um, maybe we can find a way around, blah, blah, blah. And then Drax was just this fucking big old himbo, which is like, what if I throw Rocket across the ravine and then he can just find us a way, a way around or like build us a bridge or like something like that. And Rocket was just like, you're not fucking throwing me. <laughs> and then me being like, this is funny as fuck. I was like, throw the fucking raccoon. Yeah. Rocket Raccoon spent the rest of the game being pissed at me. Yeah. He, they would allude to me th- having Drax throw him across the fucking Grand Canyon for... And it's a long game. Like, I think it took me nearly 20 hours to beat. 20 hours later, they were still like, hey, don't fucking throw me again. But <laughs> it really... It gets satisfying because then towards the end of the game when you fucking save the galaxy because you know you're going to save the galaxy. At one point... Same thing comes up. You have to cross. You have to cross a big gap. Rocket is like after spending the entire game being like pissy for throwing him. This is after you've had like the entire game. Get Rocket goes, Drax, you can throw me. <laughs> and then the kicker is Drax instead of just throwing him across the ravine, just finds a way to it. Like finds <laughs> another way to do it. Yeah. And it's just like there's so much character development that is never like it's just told through dialogue, told through experiencing it. Yeah. And that's like it has just the best 
into like character dialogue in game I played. The voice acting is stellar. Um, there's some parts that gets a bit annoying, like lines that get repeated in dialogue. Like if I hear fucking Gamora say "knife to meet you" one more fucking time, I will shoot my brain out. Knife to meet you. It's just genuinely just the dialogue of like exploring places is it's like the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but you get to experience it. You get to experience it, and you feel like them loving each other by the end of it is sort of your doing. Yeah. Cute. Um, and that's like not even talking about the combat. You could tell their budget was very much towards visuals for the environment, visuals for like level design, um, voice acting. Because the first enemy you encounter in this fucking game is what looks like a laundry ball. You know those fucking balls people put in laundry machines to like try and make Yes, that's spiky balls. Yeah, imagine that, but kind of green and it wiggles a bit. That was the first enemy. Okay, I'm hard. Continue. Um, and then... Oh, you might like this. The second enemy is a ball of... A cube of jelly with, like, a little star core inside. And you have to break the jelly and break the core... And then break the core to kill it. How bad is it if I get calm on the mic? Um, it's not my mic. Um, so you're also like, okay, the budget for enemies, not there. To the point of being laughable. Like, you'll see some of these animations that's like... They've, they wrote, like, a script to make things jiggle. And you're just like, okay, call it a day. <laughs> And you can tell, like, enemies use the same animations a lot of the time as your main characters. They're not, like, if they're humanoid. Yeah. So that's one really disappointing part of the game. As well as, at least, at least in, like, two separate occasions, had to restart earlier checkpoint because the game glitched out and just, like, softlocked me. Yeah. One of those times was when I was, like, halfway through one of the most climactic boss fights in the game. Ugh. And then I was like, I think this should be triggering something at this point. I can't deal damage to him. I just think I should be, like, triggering something. And just wasn't. So I had to redo the entire boss fight at that point. And luckily the second time it like worked properly. Uh, so like it could have used a bit more polished, could have used way better enemy design. Speaking of soft locking. Speaking um, of soft. Yeah, I'm soft now. Um, speaking of soft locking, I when you were talking about the combat, how you have your main character, but you have your allies and they have different like moves and things you can use for them and stuff like that. Reminded me of when I tried to play Dragon Age Origins. Yep. Do you remember that? Like, do you remember that game? I got so bored of that game so quickly. So did I, and I stopped playing it, and then I tried again a few years later, and I, I got, like, not very far in, but you know how when, you, when you're when you in combat, you have to walk up, basically pause the game, assign each of your teammates to do a move, like an attack or whatever, and then unpause the game and let it unfold? Yep. Um, I didn't save very often, and I saved right before a combat thing without realizing it. And as soon as the combat started, I died. <laughs> like the second it, the second oh. I unpaused, a huge fireball just came and knocked the fucking wind out of me and I died. And so I would, I would desperately try and load the new save. The second that I loaded in, I would pause it, assign a move to each of my guys, unpause it, they'd all die. And I was like, this is fucking shit. <laughs> like, I can't go back to my set because I saved like an hour ago. Yeah, and you don't want to redo a fucking... I'm not redoing like walking through the forest for yeah. an hour. And like, you don't want to miss anything you've missed in an hour walk the second time around. Yeah, like I was, I literally tried for so long to like pause it as quickly as I could, set it up so that I didn't die, like dodge correctly or like move or whatever, but I just died every single time. And I was like, this game sucks. Is that when you quit it? Yes. Um, imagine like that sort of thing where you can pause say who does what moves except you get a little menu that slows down time oh yeah, yeah. and then you can choose each character's moves with a cooldown 
yeah. and then do it again in like a, few, a minute. Because when I first was like doing the combat, I didn't really get it at first. Because I third person shooter, and there's a button that just locks onto an enemy, removes any need to aim. And I'm like, is removing the need to aim not going to make this game trivial as fuck? After doing that for like an hour, I realized, oh no, this is a strategy game. If you had to aim while moving around and essentially telling four different people what moves to do when, impossible. Yeah. The game was hard as fuck in a lot of points, despite the ability to lock onto enemies, despite the ability to essentially never stop shooting. You really had to learn each character's strengths in what situations and where. You can essentially you can make a combat encounter take half the time if you just know when to use rocket, know when to use group, know when to use Drax. And you start realizing Quill is just some dude there. Like it's really just the team. It means also you're bonding with the characters as a player while they're bonding with each other as characters because you get to know them, their combat more, get to know their mannerisms more, get to know how they solve puzzles more. By the end of the game, you're just like as obsessed with them as they are obsessed with each other. Guardians of the Galaxy. My second favorite game of 2020. One. <laughs> what fucking year are we in? Uh, all right, so now I'm going to talk about my final book that I rev- read recently. Um... And this one is a bit odd, but it's it's a good one. It has no rape, no abuse, no one killing themselves. So you're really, like, going out of your comfort zone. Exactly. Time. Like, I, I don't even understand what's going on. It's still fucked. Yeah. Like, still fuck shit happens, but it's not as fucked. Um, but this one's called Blindness, and it's by Jose Saramago. Uh, it was translated from Portuguese. I'm very worldly. Um... <laughs> Um, I'm imagining just it was put through Google Translate, terribly translated. You don't understand a single thing, but you're just like, this is a foreign book, so it must be good. Yeah, it must. This is what prose is. Um, no, I just, <laughs> I um, the the writing was like had barely any grammar to it. Like each page was just a block of words. Okay. Like with and- no paragraphs, no spacing. Like, it was, it was kind of hard to read. Are you saying this as a good thing or just a thing? Just or? a thing. Okay. It wasn't that great, but I, it was a translation, so I don't blame it. Sure. It was, it was quite good. I read it for a book club that I was in where we all read the first book. And the first book was this one. And half the people didn't read it. And then the book club disbanded. Uh, you were in a book club? I was. <laughs> <laughs> you really are gay. Yeah, I was waiting for that. Um, all right. So this one is about basically a contagious thing that causes you to go blind. Um, and the start of the book is this guy just like driving and he just goes blind, like randomly. And he stops the car and he pulls over and he's like, I can't fucking see what the fuck is going on. Um, and some guy helps him home. He's like, he's like, Oh sir, like I can see you need help. Like I'll, I'll take you home. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I'm not normally blind. Um, (gasps) Oh, you can see. Thanks for rubbing it in. Yeah. And so he, he leads him home and he gets home and he calls a doctor and a doctor comes and visit, visits him in his house and tries to diagnose him. And he's like, I can't, like, you're just blind. Like, I, I, there's nothing wrong here. Uh, and his wife's like, what the fuck is going on? Doctor goes home. His wife's like consoling him, being like, it's okay, whatever. Suddenly, the guy who helped him on the street, the doctor and his wife all go blind as well. And they're all like, what the fuck? So basically anyone you come into contact with goes blind as well. Is this a post-COVID book or pre this is years ago this is many years ago so this contagious blindness starts cropping up in multiple places and they herd all the people who are affected by it into an old mental asylum and lock them up 
and keep them away from people because they're like, we don't want this anyone else catching this. Catching the blinds. Exactly. And um, at first, they're just held in there by, like, guards. And then eventually soldiers come, like the military come, and they stand outside and they they lock everyone in and don't let them do anything. They stop bringing them food, like, because no one wants to go in and give them anything because they so don't want to catch they're them. They're just blind. letting them starve to death sort of thing at that point? Pretty or? much. They're, like, living off scraps and, like, barely anything. And, like, riots start happening inside. People start taking sides. Um, the strongest people start, like, overpowering the, the weaker people and demanding that they give them their food and, like, all this kind of, like, Lord of the Flies style yep. shit. Then suddenly, one woman... I think it's the protagonist's wife can suddenly see again, but she doesn't tell anyone because she's afraid they'll just kill her. Yeah. Because like out of envy, jealousy, or like pure rage or whatever. So she can see again, but she doesn't tell anyone. She just uses it to like kind of help people a little bit uh, without them noticing. But at this point, a lot of atrocities have happened. Like people have tried to escape and been shot. Yeah. Um, people, the, the people who are still remain have been made to bury those who have been shot while they're blind. While they're blind. Yeah. It's fucked up. Um, and like, there's been like riots and stuff inside. Other people have been like stabbed and stuff like that. Um, so this woman who can see, it leads into my favorite part of the book, which is where the woman is sitting in bed one night and she's just like, like looking around and she sees this young girl come into their room because they shared rooms with like eight people each because it was a mental asylum and they, there wasn't much space. And this, this young girl comes into the room and slides into her husband's bed and they just fuck. And this woman just oh, has to watch it because no. she can't say anything because she doesn't. She she needs to make them think she's still blind, but she's watching it. But the weird thing is, she just accepts it. She just goes like, "Oh, my husband probably deserves it after like being blind for so long. Like, this is a really shit time. I can understand that he wants to have at least a little pleasure in his life." Does yeah. the husband know he was having sex with not the wife? Yes. Oh, yes. This the the girl was a lot younger. Oh, okay. Like like eighteen. And he was, like, 50. So, yeah, the wife witnesses that, which is great. Anyway, one day the wife looks outside and she notices all the soldiers are gone. And she's like, we can leave. So she guides their, like, group of, like, six, I think it was, of people, which is, like, her, her husband, a doctor, the 18-year-old girl, and some two other minor characters who I don't care about. Um, She guides them all outside and they break out, basically. And they're, like, wandering the streets and everyone's gone. Like... There's, like... I think there's, like, bodies on Where, the like, ground. the town? Yeah, like, the whole town is gone. Like, there's, like... I think there's, like, bodies around. There's, like, just dead people. And, like, every store has been looted. And, like... Like, you can tell the blindness swept through the town. And that's why the soldiers left. Because everyone was getting affected no matter what. Because uh, they couldn't figure out what was causing it. Like, whether it was, like, a virus in the air. Or whether it was, like, touch or whatever. But everyone ended up getting it. Um, so they, like, scavenge for food for a while... They go to one of the one of the guy's apartment because they're like he's like oh I think I know my way to home or whatever uh, I can't remember if the girl told them that she could see yet or not but anyway they make it to the apartment and then my second favorite bit uh, which is where you can tell it was written by a man because all the women in the group like the three or four of them or whatever it rains and they go out onto the balcony and they all get naked and they shower each other okay and. <laughs> And the description is... Is this just a really long build-up to a porno? Literally, it was just so weird and out of place. Like, you're blind. You can still clean yourself. They, The description was just gross. It was, like, describing their breasts and, like, the curves of their body and how they looked when they were wet. And it was just like... 
and you could just you could just tell written by a man. Yep. Um, I think it was after this that I decided to look for female authors. This, this may- was the trigger. This was the catalyst. Um, but after that weird bit, um, eventually it ends when the main character, like the the first guy to get blind, wakes up and he can see again. And they realize that it's a temporary thing. Yeah. And they, they will all eventually get back their sight. And then the book ends. Um, that's that's how it ends? Yeah. A weird brain orgy. And then, oh, everything will be okay, I guess. Yeah. After, like, so much death and, like, shit that happened. Like, when, in the chapters where they're in the asylum are fucked. Like, like, if you think Lord of the Flies is bad, this one was bad. Sure. Like... There were like gangs forming and they were like doing doing shit that I don't want to talk about because I've already talked about it enough with my previous like four books. <laughs> <laughs> like you get the gist. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was it was a really interesting read. Like it, it gripped me fairly well. Like I, I always wanted to know what was next because I was so curious as how as to how these people were gonna exist when they couldn't see. Because you don't think about what it's like to be blind until like so you meet someone who's blind yeah. or like you see someone online who's blind and then you're like, oh, I wonder what their like average day is like. And like you realize how much you rely on your sight and how many things get taken away from you once you can't see anymore. And it was really interesting seeing that on a mass level, like yeah. with a lot of people dealing with it. And just it. the amount of panic, I guess, that happens. Yeah, exactly. Like there was so much panic. And like you, when you think about like dealing with a disability, like being blind or things like that, you, you know that you, there's people around you who will help you. But in this situation, there wasn't anyone. Everyone else was blind. So, like, it was just that that sinking feeling you have when no one's coming to save you. And, like, it's just going to get worse. Like, when when the woman can finally see again, you get a little bit of hope. You're like, oh, maybe it is temporary. But then no one else gets their sight back for ages. So yeah. you're like, maybe it's a one-off Maybe it's thing. just her. Like, she's immune or something. There's, like, a scene where she's she's can see. And one of the gang members in the asylum is, like, demanding food from everyone. And he's, like, wielding a gun because he got a gun off one of the guards. He's just, like, waving it around. Like, I just waved my hand, but this is radio. Um, Radio. (laughs) um, He's, like, waving a gun around, and he can't actually see anyone. But he says, he says, I may not be able to see you, but but if I shoot enough, I'm bound to hit someone. Oh, sure. So everyone's like... averages. Yeah, so everyone's like, fuck that. I'm not going to be the one person who gets hit. So everyone just gives in their food and stuff. But this girl can see, and she's got a pair of scissors that she found. And she's like, she's thinking about it. She's like, I could just fucking stab him. But she doesn't, and it pissed me off. I was yeah. like, you should have stabbed him. That would have been way cooler. Yeah, but I think the problem was he had like 60 pounds on her, or like 60 kilos on her. So like, he was a big strong dude, and she was like a meek young, like not young, meek woman. But yeah, it's like, it was it was interesting and gripping. Uh, hard, A bit hard to read because of the translation, but the writing was still good. Sure. Like I wasn't, I wasn't reading it like, oh, whoever translated this is a dickhead. I was like, I can understand everything that's going on. It was just a bit like grammatically hard to follow. But other than that, I would say it's a good book, and that concludes my list of books. So that was three you've liked, two you didn't like. Yeah. Sure. Um, before I want to get to my favorite game, twenty twenty one, I just want to quickly mention just a couple of honorable mentions, just really quickly. Smash through five games that didn't make the list. Hi there, this is Emma. Um, I'm currently editing the podcast. Uh, Rowan says that he'll talk about these games really quickly, but actually he spends like 10-15 minutes on them. Um, and this podcast is already way too long, so... Oops! Uh, gonna cut him. Uh, bye! So, on to my actual number one, after speaking way too long about honorable mentions. 
My favorite game, 2021, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Another PS5 exclusive. I know this is an opinion, but it's wrong. <laughs> that game is, like, widely loved. Um, I've loved the Ratchet and Clank games um, ever since I was, like, as long as I've been gaming. The first game I ever owned was Ratchet and Clank 3. And it became one of my favorite games ever quite quickly. And I've played that game to death time and time again. And it's sort of like when I was talking about... Um, when I was talking about Guns Galaxy, a game that just tries to be fun for the sake of being fun. Yeah. That's what this game is. It knows this weapon is fun to use. Let's design it to be more fun. It makes weapons and items and levels in a way that's like, this is, doesn't really make sense. Why would anyone make a fucking weapon that freezes something into a giant ice cube and that doesn't do an edge? But like, it's fun. And there's just so many different weapons. Each planet is so different. You end up exploring the entire gal- different different versions of the same galaxy because the entire plot is essentially you're at a hero's parade. By this point, Ratchet and Clank have saved the galaxy like a dozen times. So you're at like a parade commending you and Ratchet is like wondering if he's like washed up. He hasn't saved the galaxy in a while. At the end of the parade, Clank reveals a little gift for Ratchet, which is he's fixed this old game, old thing from an older game called like the, the Galaxy Gun or the gal- Galaxinator, some dumb shit. And it lets you travel between different versions of different galaxies. Big Bad from older games, Dr. Ferris comes and steals it, and then essentially fucks it up, and then breaks the universe. So you're constantly moving between different galaxies, and then those galaxies breaking becomes parts of the game. Like, you'll just be on a little, like, a, um, like a desert planet, and then shit from, like, a pirate zombie world will happen, and then you start fighting, like, skeleton pirates. Mm. The game just... The game seems almost offended by the thought of a player being bored. <laughs> They'll just... Even in, like, the on-rail segments. Had a lot of segments where, like, rail grinding, just going through an environment. Everything happening around you, you will never in a first play, in, in your first playthrough see everything. There's shit happening in the background that's interesting. The draw distance almost feels infinite. Like, you can look off in the distance and see intense, insane details. And the game never dips in quality the more you play. Like, the further you get into the game. Um, the plot is, like, kind of cute, but not really what you're playing for. Does an interesting between you play as Ratchet and Clank and then rivet and kit who's like the alternate galaxy versions of them mm. and later on in the game they meet and it's the cutest shit in the world because they're so nervous about meeting these people they've like been talking to over like intercoms for a while but never met and you obviously save the galaxy in the end it almost feels like i'm playing a ps2 game how i saw ps2 games as a kid yeah right like when the old graphics look so good to you when you're like 12 and then you replay those games when you're 18 and you're like this looks like ass yeah it's like that, and same design design philosophies. You play, you shoot enemies until they die. You level up guns so they make it get better at killing enemies. You explore to find secrets. It just has such a simple a simple idea of what a game should be, and it just does it so well. I was not bored for a second while playing that game. I loved the dialogue between the characters. I loved the visuals. Everything about it was just perfect. I don't have a single complaint about that game. I... Can't wait for them to make... Because it's made by Insomniac Games. Guys that made old Ratchet & Clank games. They also made the Spider-Man PS4 game. Like, everything they make is just... It's gold. They just make insanely good games. And I'm so excited for, like, stuff they're going to make in the future. I talked way too long. Holy shit. <laughs> when you when you finished your honorable mentions, I was like, man, that was a while. And then you were like, all right, on to my yeah. first game. I was like, fuck! Yeah, feel free to cry out as much of the honorable mentions. I did. But anyway, do we want to do Thing of the Week? Yes. So... My um my favorite idea we had for this podcast is how we're going to finish it each week, which is a little segment called 
thing of the week. Each week, one of us picks a thing and we talk about it, usually with more notice than nothing, which is what happened right now. Yeah, um, one, of us, one of us picks a topic and the other person picks their favorite thing of that topic. And then next week, the person who got chosen and said their favorite thing then picks the topic. So what are we doing this week? Um, so the topic of this week is we both forgot we had to have a thing of the week. Nice. So um, on the drive home, I was going to get some, I was going to get a cool craft beer that we've never tried. Yeah. I was going to maybe some of the cool art from a cool, interesting brewery, but I've got my mask at work. So I couldn't, I couldn't stop by the, um, the, the, the BWS, which for, uh, if we have any foreign listeners is a liquor store that stands for Bussy Wine and Spirits. You thought of that. I saw that so much. It's not even funny. Fuck's sake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I couldn't stop by the liquor store. So I, when I got home, cause I was fucking exhausted from work, working for a week straight, which I don't know how anyone ever does that. Um, so I told Emma, can you just like go to the local liquor store and just get a six pack of the beer that just like has the coolest art. Sick. Could, sick. Yeah. Right. Love the idea. And especially in Australia, like a local brewery, if they have good art on the beer, it's probably going to be like a cool fruity ale. Yeah. So lovely. I'm going to go go to the fridge and grab what Emma thought was an interesting. Oh, beer. we're going to drink them now. We're going to ha- we're going to crack it open now. Oh god. Okay. And um, this is going to be. I'm excited. <laughs> right. I don't know beer. Okay. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I love trying new craft beers. Um, <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing, Alex. Oh, they're just, <laughs> they're just wild yaks. All right. So. Emma walked into the liquor store and thought, the beer with the best art, Wild Yak. So those who do not know, um, Wild Yak is possibly the second most well-known ale in Australia right after Stone and Wood. Everyone knows Wild Yak. I feel like such a gatekeeper being like, how have you not heard of this beer? But like, not everyone likes beer. Like, I, I couldn't name a single wine ever. It's or... a, yeah. Um, imagine if... I told Emma to grab an uh, interesting log and she showed up the Corona. That is the ale version of this. So our thing of the week, the first ever thing of the week, to set the tone for all future things of the week is us both sipping on a beer we've had cases worth of before. Oh, I love that sound. <laughs> that was so fucking so, lame. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. So this is made by the Matilda Bay Brewing Company. At, I believe it's just called the Yak Brewery. And that is literally the only interesting thing about this drink. So they say on the back, it says, with subtle aromas of melon and passion fruit, which is a lie. Um, the flavors in this South Seas Yak sing out like a forest full of parakeets. I'm not going to read any more because it's just not that interesting. But the beer itself actually tastes good. Spectacular. It is my go-to, like, I need a case of a beer... That isn't a lager. Yeah, I my favorite beers are the ones that are the cheapest and sound the gayest. Tropical pale ale. Like, that That sounds yeah. like a twink is drinking it to pretend he likes beer. I think Wild Yak sounds like a certain kind of gay. Yeah, like, like an otter. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just thinking a separate category. What do you mean? Like, you get bears, otters, and then just Wild Yaks. Oh, right. <laughs> like, like it's, it's a specific type of gay. Yeah. Right, and wild yaks are like, they're like thin like otters, but they're really hairy. <laughs> <laughs> like, instead of a bear where they're big and hairy, 
It's like an otter, but thin and hairy. So like, not like you. I also hate that I can't defend myself because this is a audio. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows what you look like. <laughs> oh shit. Oh yeah, yeah. We forgot next um, things of the week. Um, you guys picked this one. Yep. So um, give me one. I've got a list if you want to look. I like th- I like that if you make it something really fucking stupid. Oh yeah, go for it. Um, for next week, Alex is gonna bring in his favorite brand of instant noodles. That's a, that's a good one. Okay. I do have a good one. I was uh, looking at you. I was like, surely it's, it's, it's gotta be something. Yeah. All right. I'll during the week, I'll bring one over to you and you'll taste it. And then we'll talk about it. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the one and a half white guys podcast. Um, I've been Alex. I've been Fuck. Rowan. <laughs> I guess I've been Rowan. <laughs> that was on purpose. I looked at you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've been handsome. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Sorry, that's you. Dude. Thank you for tuning in to our first One and a Half White Guys podcast. I've been Alex. I've been Rowan. And we will see you next time.